Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With your 2024 WWE Elimination Chamber Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again for the earliest show in the history of this podcast to break down everything that happened Saturday morning here in the United States from WWE's Elimination Chamber Premium Live Event, the final major stop on the way to WrestleMania 40. We have an absolutely loaded show for you once again today, as we always do, and we're going to get into all of it momentarily. But allow me to kick things off with a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defied. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, yours truly, vintage Chris Vanini, who will join us momentarily. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It's also where you can send in questions and comments via DMs and tweets, and you can vote in pre- and post-show polls surrounding premium live events and pay-per-views, just like Elimination Chamber, and your opinions do impact our analysis and reaction to the show. You will hear that later in this episode. Please also remember, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get exclusive audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reactions to Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every single week, along with news posts every single Friday. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Over Now, because this is an instant analysis episode, this is the time where Vintage and the Silver King crack open a cold one. But we're also doing this show at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central here in the United States. So this is very much a kegs and eggs edition of Getting Over. I had a egg sandwich on a delicious brioche bun earlier today, and now the Silver King is going to crack open a cold one. And I am drinking all that went all over me. I am drinking a morning glory from Swamphead Brewing in the beautiful town of Gainesville, Florida. It is a vanilla coffee blonde ale. Perfect for this occasion, of course. Chris, what do you got over there? Oh, you prepared. You you got the coffee type of beer. I, I just have um, one I've had a lot on here before. Uh, Spotted Cow from New Glarus Brewing Company in Wisconsin. My wife's a big fan of it. Gets it all the time. So we've always got some around the house not exactly a morning beer but look at this point we're recording it now it's 8 a.m my time 9 a.m your time we're about in that college football saturday tailgate time of yes, day yes it, it was tough to get up early you know 3 a.m 4 a.m my time uh but now now it feels like tailgate time yeah i have the energy and i, I used to have uh season tickets for the miami dolphins down here in south florida and you know, drinking at 9, 10 a.m., not that unusual, certainly for early college football games in Gainesville. Uh, drinking at 9, 10 a.m. for a 12 p.m. kickoff, not unusual either. So feels a little bit like that, except I'm washed. I'm way older than I was uh, back then. But I will clarify, this is not just a 
situation where I went out and got a coffee beer. I think you guys know I drink coffee beer all the time, so I just happened to have this. I actually did try mm. to go get a seltzer. I was in Trader Joe's, and I was going to get, you know, one of those, like, Truly or whatever. They have the single cans in Trader Joe's from people who open packages and stuff. But all they had was, like, a mango-flavored White Claw, and I dislike mango. So I was like, I can't get that. And then I said, you know what? I'm just going to drink a beer. I'll make it easier. So that's where we're at uh, coming into Elimination Chamber. We have an absolute ton to discuss today. We're going to break down every single match from the Elimination Chamber card. We're, of course, going to give you our reactions to them, grades for the matches. We're going to give you a final grade for Elimination Chamber itself. And as part of that instant analysis breakdown, we'll also be talking about some things that happened on SmackDown Friday. But before even SmackDown on Friday, there was a WWE Elimination Chamber press event on Thursday in Perth. Now, we're not going to go into great detail on this because it certainly was not like that WrestleMania kickoff event we got a couple weeks ago. But I will go ahead and just give you a couple quick notes from the press event before we get into everything. I was flabbergasted at this factoid, Chris, that they shared to start the show. Michael Cole announced that pirates... Like, yes, real pirates prevented WWE from shipping the Elimination Chamber set through the Suez Canal, and it forced them to divert it to Miami and then Los Angeles and then Sydney on the other side of the continent. And then they took a train from Sydney to Perth just to get the set there. That's absolutely wild. I don't, did you get to hear that? Did you watch this thing live? I heard it. I was confused by it. <laughs> I, I was I didn't I didn't go back and listen, but I heard it and I I wasn't sure if he was like, it it was pretty specific, but I just was like yeah it was real it's real apparently he said it a couple times yeah it's apparently a real thing that happened I would love to learn more about that like the logistics of how that all yeah. went down but apparently that's something that happened here's some other quick notes from this the crowd was huge at first I thought it was just a few hundred people like in Saudi Arabia when they do those but they panned out. And there were a few thousand people there standing outside in the heat with no cover in 100 degree weather. Felt like 100. I think it was 92. Uh, Grayson Waller got a huge pop. The fans organically chanted Cena sucks. Uh, Waller also had the fans acknowledge the tribal chief. Triple H literally conducted the crowd to sing Kingdom for Cody Rhodes, who was not there. There was a We Love Beer chant, which was hysterical. Logan Paul got a ton of cheap heat talking about Perth and how it's shitty. He also pointed out that he's the youngest competitor in the chamber by a decade, which thinking back on that really should not be the case, but it was the case in the match. Logan and Kevin Owens got into a shoving match that gave me uneasy vibes about WrestleMania plans, just, you know, because we've been talking so much about LA Knight. But as soon as that happened at this event, I was like, I don't know if they're going to be doing that. Tiffany Stratton was over like Rover, brother. They chanted for her pretty damn loud. Not as loud as Becky Lynch, but pretty damn loud. Bex and Bianca Belair had a nice face-to-face. And lastly, uh, the loudest chants were actually Nia sucks, even over We Love Rhea. Unfortunately, that kind of segment with Ripley and Jax staring off with each other ended kind of weekly. Rhea splashed prime on Nia, which, like, who cares? But she did a shoey with Waller drinking a beer to end it. I thought that was pretty cool. Did you have any takeaways from this press event? Yeah, one thing I, I don't know if you I missed it or if you skipped over it, but Naya did the thing that we said that she should do, which is that she's from Australia and she's glad she didn't. She's glad right. she moved. Right. You know, 
yeah, there, there we go. That's exactly. I was waiting for that, and and I guess the kickoff in Australia might have been a good place to do it. So, uh, props to them because you you gave you gave me that that fun fact which mm-hmm. I didn't realize on our preview, and I was like, wait a minute, why have they not done that? So, uh, they did it. That was great. The only other note I had from this was, I always thought the Aussie 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 oi 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 thing was like a bit mm-hmm. like almost like a like a tourist thing. But I guess not. I guess yeah. it's like a real thing that they take I, pride in. So so I know on. they do the chant at sporting events, but I would have assumed that non-Aussies doing the chant with the frequency that WWE did it would almost be like a thumb to the eye almost. You know, it's like, like yeah. that's all you know from us, that we have kangaroos and koalas and we do that chant. But... I guess the way they tried to do it was they, in most cases, not every case, most cases, had an Aussie start the chant. They had Grayson Waller do it. They had Rhea Ripley do it. So maybe in that case, it's like, okay, because it's someone from the country doing it. But I I kind of had that same thought as well. I was like, they're doing this a lot. And I don't know, not that it's like offensive, but I was like, I don't know if they like that. But apparently they do because they were all chanting along and totally fine with it. Yeah, like stereotypical, like, yeah like a stereotype of people in Australia. They don't actually do that, but maybe they do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, again, I've seen it at tons of sporting events, the Olympics and world cup and things like that. Yeah. So I presume we, we've, got, okay. we've got some Aussie listeners and stuff like that. Let us know, D- DM us or email us. Is that a chant that you guys normally do and like as, as Americans, we are unaware. Of. Yeah. Again, it just, it's the lack of knowledge about it more than anything else. But Let's go ahead and move over to this WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis. Again, we're going to break down every single match with reactions, grades, and we're going to tell you what happened that kind of transitioned into these matches coming up Friday from SmackDown. Chris, the overall setup in Perth at Optus Stadium, I thought it was immense. The crowd was jam-packed, constantly loud. There were so many people on the floor. I know it's a big playing surface because they have AFL and cricket, but... I still did not expect that many people on the floor. I also liked how WWE somehow managed to do what I'll call a minimalist stadium setup. Like the fans were the entire focus and they also had those shots of the sunset. Those were awesome. Plus WWE had a lot of pyro once day went into night and cameras in each pod for the elimination chamber matches. I wish they showed them a little bit more like in the corners of the screen That's just how I felt. Despite all those positives, there were some production things. The screen went black for 30 seconds, I think because fans were maybe throwing up middle fingers, so they blacked out the screen instead of changing camera angles. Audio went dead for 30 seconds, I think because of a curse. Uh, There was a chamber countdown that started too early. Screens went out in the stadium, which distracted the crowd for a bit. There was a shadow from the structure during the men's match that was apparently not accounted for by the lighting rig, I guess whenever that was built. And I'll also just note that Paul Levesque came out before the main event. He announced 53,000 tons of pyro fireworks, like I said, to celebrate it. So, you know, just a a mixed bag to a degree. But in terms of a visual, I thought the visuals were just gorgeous and exactly how professional wrestling in a stadium setup should be presented. Yes. Something I said on the Royal Rumble analysis pod was that I asked you if you felt like the stadium shows were becoming too generic, where they were starting to kind of all look the same. Um, This felt different. Yeah, this felt like it was in a new place, a unique place. The constant overhead shots of the stadium 
for the beautiful sunset, for various things, very much helped it feel like a unique place in a unique setting and not just another generic stadium show. And yeah, I mean, they they packed that place. I, I mean, think about this. This is how hot WWE is right now. They didn't have Cody or Seth wrestle. Roman didn't appear. Rock didn't appear. Nia Jax is in the main event. And you get 52,000 people at this place and yeah. they are going nuts like that. That, you know, we, we thought Rock might have to wrestle here. It's a stadium show, all these different things. And man, they're just the, the business wise. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's other stuff outside the ring going on. But business wise, this company is as hot as ever. And, and this is this show was an example of that. And I'm not going to say the fans didn't care that like. CM Punk, The Rock, Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, and Seth Rollins did not wrestle on the show. But what I can say is they didn't seem to care. Like, it didn't affect yeah. anything else on the show. They didn't boo or, or um, protest chant or really do anything that would make you think they were displeased. All I have heard from Twitter, we have, like you said, multiple Australian listeners. I have had people DM us and tweet us. And then just seeing Aussie's post on Reddit and post on Twitter about it, the stadium experience that we heard was, and I thought they mic'd it up pretty well. I think people forget largely that in stadiums, it doesn't translate volume to television like it does in an arena. The open top being one big reason why sound dissipates and microphones can't really catch it the same way. But my understanding, and I've heard from people who have gone to WrestleManias and the show already, that this was the loudest crowd they've ever been part of for wrestling. And that just goes to speak, like you said, to how hot WWE is right now. So let's go ahead, break down Elimination Chamber as promised, all five matches plus the Grayson Waller effect segment. Then at the end, we'll kind of wrap things up and give you a final grade on the show. Let's start where Elimination Chamber ended, the Women's World Championship. Rhea Ripley defending against Nia Jax. This, of course, main evented as expected. Other than Pyro and Fire, I was a little surprised Ripley did not get any other special elements to her entrance. Not that she really needed them due to the reaction, but I thought she'd get something. She did not. Rhea obviously got enormous reactions. She teared up for a brief moment at the end of the ramp. Ripley in the match failed on Riptide early with Michael Cole selling it as no way in hell she could ever do it. Jax dominated with a hip attack and a full stink face. Ripley got a guillotine in, but Jax muscled her into two power bombs and a leg drop, maybe the strongest that she's ever looked. Rhea kicked Nia's legs out in the corner and hit a huge stomp, plus a missile drop kick. Jax hit regular and avalanche Samoan drops. Ripley countered Annihilator with basically snake eyes, following with an Eddie Guerrero tribute frog splash. Another riptide failed, and Rhea got hip tossed outside. Then Ripley failed on a power bomb outside, so Jax picked her up, did a Samoan drop into the announce table with Rhea taking a monitor right to her spine because she forgot to move it when she cleared the table. The table didn't break on the Samoan job. So Jax, to her credit, got onto a desk chair and hit an elbow drop off the chair into the table. Thing exploded. I wouldn't even try that. I don't know if you've ever tried to stand on a desk chair. They're wobbly (laughs) as hell. And she's a big woman. I'm a big guy. I would never do that. So good on her. She executed that shit. Jax added Annihilator inside for a false finish. Rhea then caught Nia on the top rope for a monster superplex, following with a head kick and a picture-perfect riptide with her signature cover for the 1-2-3 to retain the title in 15 minutes. Tons of pyro, 
fireworks outside the stadium. Rhea got to celebrate with her family who were sitting in the first row and the show went off the air. When I say this is exactly, Chris, what it needed to be, it's exactly what it needed to be. It was the best match of Nia Jax's career by margin. She has earned her spot, not just back in WWE, but in this upper mid-card role in the division. She is not out of place there. Ripley looked like an absolute beast going toe-to-toe with her, despite being the champion coming into the show. They chose not to have her really work from under. I think a lot of people expected she would, but she's a beast. She's dominated the division, and she's a long-running champion. You don't have someone like that work from under. So I thought that was a really good decision. Were there a couple moments that could have been smoother? Absolutely. But the work by both women far exceeded any minor slip-ups. This felt like a major, legitimate main event, despite the qualms we and others may have had coming into it. 3.75 stars, B+. Yeah, real solid, good match. I think this and the Nia Jax day one match with Becky Lynch, Mm -hmm. maybe the two best matches of her career. Absolutely. She's really, this year, ever since she's come back, looked uh, just much better, much cleaner, all sorts of things. This felt like a main event match. Uh, The crowd was great. The story was told in the match. It's not often we get to see Rhea work from underneath and not be the big, strong uh, person in the match. So she seemed to kind of thrive in that role, being able to do it. Nia played her role well. And yeah, I'd say B plus match. Really solid stuff. This show was all about Rhea. Rhea was in the hashtag for the show. Mm-hmm. You know, the purple for her. Everything was built around her. And she comes out, she comes in it, comes out of it looking like a million bucks, mission accomplished. And like, look, I know that Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins were on the show. They got huge reactions and Cody's a bigger star than Rhea. I'm not getting it twisted, but let's just be candid about what we saw here. A 27-year-old Rhea in the absolute prime of her career, completely captivating 53,000 people in the main event of a stadium show in her home country. I mean, That doesn't happen in wrestling for women historically. This is like transcendent stuff. She is, I tweeted this, a blockbuster level superstar for WWE. And in many ways, she's just getting started. I think what she's already accomplished is tremendous. And the potential that she has now going forward in WWE, when you have not just the Becky Lynch's and the Charlotte Flair's, but the Bianca Belairs and the Liv Morgans, the Tiffany Stratton's coming up. This division is obviously healthier than it's ever been, but it is helmed right now by someone who is going to be a WWE Hall of Famer. Like it's a no doubt proposition at this point for Rhea. I thought everything they did promoting the show with her as the focal point was right on. And the way this show ended with her on top those people going absolutely metal for her. I don't know that you could have asked for much more. No, and actually it's funny. As we're recording this, I just put on the 2020 COVID WrestleMania. Sometimes <laughs> I just put some wrestling on while sure. we're doing this. And you think about Rhea at this show when she wrestled Charlotte. Mm-hmm. You think about the next year when she beat Asuka and won the championship. And we kept thinking, you know, is Rhea here? Is she here? And she wasn't quite ready yet. Even she got these big spots, these big moments, but didn't didn't have the the proper feel for everything. Mm-hmm. 
And now, now she's controlling stadiums, you know, like, like they really lean, they, they kind of revamped her a couple times. Now they've leaned into her personality and what she is a, a metalhead, all these types of things. She's so much more comfortable out there. And, and people feel that the viewership feel that that's why even when she's a villain, a heel in the judgment day, everybody loves her mm -hmm. <laughs> because it just, it fits. You can feel it. And it's, uh, it, it's, um, Awesome to see how far she's come. Again, only 27. She's younger than Liv Morgan. Yeah. You know, by two years. She's way younger than Bianca Belair. So, like, she's Hall of Fame, like, already pretty mm -hmm. much. And, and there's still so much more to come. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous what she's already accomplished and what is still ahead for her. It's, it's really exciting, honestly. Let's go ahead and move to the Women's Elimination Chamber match. Now, before we get to that, there was a match on SmackDown we'll briefly discuss. Tiffany Stratton fought and defeated Liv Morgan in over 11 minutes via roll-up. Bianca Belair was ringside. Liv hit almost all the big offensive moves, including a really cool Russian leg sweep pinning combination. She dominated the match. Stratton got the Cartwheel Alabama Slam, which needs a name. The finish was, though, immensely repetitive. Stratton was outside, slapped Belair. She jumped onto the ring apron. Because of that, the referee missed a pinfall for Morgan, and then Stratton won with the roll-up. I swear... We saw that identical finish in a men's match two weeks ago. And I said to you something like, you know, we're good for this about five or six times a year. And here we got it like twice in a three-week span. Well, that was a great matchup, but the ending sucked. The match actually was really good. That's why I played that sound drop. Tiffany and Liv, mm -hmm. they banged in the ring. It was awesome. I yeah. wasn't in love with her losing, but it was excused and completely forgotten about by what happened in the chamber, which we'll discuss momentarily. So it ended up being a really entertaining, fun moment for SmackDown. I just wish they did a different finish. Yep, completely agree. All right. So the chamber match. Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Tiffany Stratton, Naomi, and Raquel Rodriguez. This opened the main card with Becky and Naomi in the ring. Naomi climbed the cage and dropped herself down probably like five feet with a full split right on top of Becky. The fans chanted Tiffy time before her pod even opened. She hit two perfect double handspring back elbows. Stratton tried to do a double forward roll, but Naomi fell off. Lynch took Stratton off the ropes with a Russian leg sweep. Naomi hit a double split. Liv came in, threw Tiffy into four different pod walls and got booed because of it. She backstabbed Becky and hit code breakers on her and Naomi. Becky did a Bexploder outside and disarmor through the cage on Stratton. Naomi tried a sunset flip powerbomb of Liv drop, jumping off the top of the pod but she missed. She caught her on the side instead of straight on. So it was kind of like almost a blockbuster instead of a sunset flip powerbomb. Tiffy got Naomi on the landing with a stack cover and got the first elimination. Raquel kicked out of a double DDT and a triple stack cover. Bianca was last in, hitting a high stepper vertical suplex on Becky. Belair repelled off the cage, then bounced off the top rope for a tornado DDT ringside. Liv did a seated senton onto Raquel off a pod. Stratton shoved Lynch off of one. Then Tiffy did a damn swanton bomb at ringside into three women. Morgan stopped prettiest moonsault ever, catching Stratton with an avalanche oblivion for the second elimination. She also got her win back from SmackDown. That's what I was alluding to. The crowd loved Tiffy so much. Again, they actually booed Liv in this moment. Raquel bounced Bianca off the cage for a powerbomb over the ropes outside. Rodriguez had Lynch up in the Tejana bomb when Morgan jumped onto the ropes trying for oblivion. Instead, Raquel hit a double Tejana bomb on her and Becky, only for Belair to catch her with Kiss of Death for the third elimination. That left the three top babyfaces in the match. Becky got a combo regular inverted DDT. 
Liv hit a springboard sunset flip powerbomb of Bianca. Lynch ate a superplex only to get knees up on a Bel Air 450 splash. Liv then countered a KOD with a jawbreaker, then countered a manhandle slam with a codebreaker. Belair used the corner to flip out of a manhandle slam, but Lynch avoided a KOD. Liv rolled up Bianca, and as soon as Liv stood up, Becky caught her coming back with a manhandle slam for the sudden finish in 32 minutes and a huge pop from the crowd. The booking and pacing of this match, Chris, were really strong, and I was into the one-two punch finish. I thought it was uniquely executed. There were some spots where there was uncommon sloppiness, the Naomi spot being the most notable. That was overshadowed, though, by a lot of strong work throughout the match. Stratton was the clear breakout star. She was insanely over before even wrestling in the match. Becky was the ring general of the entire thing. She did a lot of work throughout. Liv, I thought, was the clear MVP. Not only that, but it was another runner-up finish for her, which plays into this long-term storyline of her character always coming up just short. And she's also been the women's chamber beast now for a couple of years. Basically, it was exactly as it should have been. This was a situation where I felt like I wanted a little bit more uniqueness from some of the individual moves because they were mostly things we've seen before. But compiling them together, it made for a compelling, well-wrestled, entertaining match. I also found myself refreshed a bit on Bianca. I had grown tired of her recently, but she kind of reminded me how great she is here and showed everyone what we've said for so many times. She doesn't need a title to be in major matches or to be important when it comes to the world of WWE. And this was proof of that. The ceiling was higher, but I went four stars A minus. I thought it was the second best women's chamber match of all time with last year's being the only one that was ever better. Yeah, this was a banger, man. Like, like this was everything about it. Every, the pacing, every move, everything had purpose. And it was an easy watch given this was, you know, four in the morning for me. <laughs> um, I was, I yeah. was, I was completely into it. Like, like it, it was that, but like you said, there weren't any memorable moves other than maybe Stif- Tiffany Stratton's Swanton Bomb where you're like, man, that's the thing we'll remember from mm-hmm. this match. It was just really solid top to bottom. Not a match I'm going to go back and watch a bunch of times, but really good for what it was. Um, Naomi's song, her entrance, I still don't like it. It's not at all yeah. memorable. It, it doesn't connect like the previous one did. It just feels too generic. Um, Liv, extremely physical in this match. Mm-hmm. Remember, you know, a, a year, a couple of years ago when she kind of decided like she's going to take the extreme persona, right. essentially? Yeah. You felt that here. She was all over the place. High impact moves uh, really stood out. Um, Tiffany uh, Stratton's Swanton Bomb. The camera angle was terrible on it. They did the classic do the camera angle from below. So yeah. then you don't have any context for how great for how high it was or how crazy it was. I hate it. They, they did show the replay, replay five seconds later, though. To, to their credit. Right, but they didn't have a, they didn't have a great camera angle on that one either. They just they didn't have a good shot of it. It didn't feel like, which is too bad. Um, and uh, I love the finish, like you said, the one-two finish, the quick stuff. I like that plays into uh, Liv Morgan is now the runner-up in two straight Royal Rumbles and mm-hmm. an Elimination Chamber. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what she did in last year's Elimination Chamber, but that, like you said, that does kind of feed into that as it continues. Um, my biggest question: Why do you think Tiffany Stratton was so over? Because I had a thought coming into SmackDown, coming out of SmackDown, which was. They still haven't given us like 
her her character, her story, like who is mm-hmm. she? What is she? What is she doing? All these types of things. They haven't given that to us. And yet she's really over, you know, so like that's clearly there. I also think her music is not at all fitting for what Well, they changed is. her music. They changed her music. That's part of the issue. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just it feels it feels like a a good guy music. And I know bad guys think they're good guys and yada yada. It just it doesn't her music isn't fitting for me. But she's crazy over right now, despite not getting much doing anything other than like wrestling in a couple of backstage promos. So credit to her. But why do you think people are like super into her? I'm just kind of curious your thoughts. It's really interesting because it's not like she doesn't get cheered in the United States. But she was monster over in Australia. And what I'm wondering is, is it possible that there's more NXT viewers over there than there are here? Not by number, but maybe by percentage. Because everyone seemed to know who she was and they were chanting Tiffy time, which is like one of her slogans. And I I don't know. Like, I'm pretty surprised by it, to be honest with you. I think it's great that she's getting that kind of momentum and hopefully that translates now to the United States when she's on SmackDown. But yeah, I don't have a great answer. That would be my only guess is that NXT viewership is pretty consistent over there. And the people that showed up to these events are your hardcore WWE fans. And therefore, you know, they know who's out there and bring someone like Tiffany Stratton on screen. It's not a confusion to them. I mean, they were super into Pete Dunn and Tyler Bate. We'll talk about them later. And the main roster crowd is just starting to pick up on Tyler Bate right now. So mm-hmm. I think it's probably the same reason for all of that. Could be. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Like Becky Lynch won. Becky Lynch is you know, a Hall of Famer and a star. But it felt like Tiffany and Liv were kind of the stars of this match. Absolutely, they were. No question. Um, like I said, Liv was my MVP. Tiffany was the star. She had the breakout moment. There's no question. Yeah. And I want to go back and maybe not necessarily correct something that I just said, but clarify. Um, when I said this was the second best women's elimination chamber match to last year, I did not mean that. This was better than last year. I'm forgetting which year's women's elimination chamber I had in my head. I'll have to go back. We always do a second watch. We give you some second look takeaways on our next WWE podcast, which is on Tuesday. I'll be a little bit more clear there, but listen, folks, it's again, it's I've been up since 5 a.m. Actually, I've been up since 4 a.m. here and I'm exhausted. So please excuse me that I don't have the year of the elimination chamber I was referring to as the proper one. But this is either the best or the second best women's elimination chamber of all time. And that's really the point I was trying to get across here. Let's go ahead, Chris, move over to the Grayson Waller effect segment with Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins. First on SmackDown. Waller visited the Bloodlines locker room, and he did that at Roman Reigns' request. Reigns said he had something to tell Waller, but it was for his ears only. So we as viewers did not get to hear it. I'll also note that there was no rock on the go-home show of SmackDown, even though he was obviously in Salt Lake City for that show. So strange that they used Reigns, but they didn't use rock. Uh, Austin Theory opened this segment on Elimination Chamber. He struggled a little bit getting cheap heat. He talked about Vegemite and Outback Steakhouse. Very eye-rolling type of shit. Waller did a shoey with some Aussie UFC guy. The faces entrances were immense. Cody, obviously more so than Seth, but still both of them got huge reactions. Waller acknowledged the tribal chief to start with Rollins announcing he's days away from being medically cleared. Waller brought up Cody taking 
Roman and Rock away from the fans, and the fans immediately chanted loudly, Rocky sucks. There were also multiple die, Rocky, die signs in the crowd, which I thought was crazy. Rhodes said he actually likes Dwayne Johnson and got fans cheering themselves as Cody crybabies. Cody went to finally address stepping out of the match on SmackDown, you know, right after the Royal Rumble. When Grayson interrupted him, he called The Rock the people's champion. So Cody didn't really go back and address it. He said, a people's champion should probably be someone who's among the people. Then he said he's wide open until WrestleMania and challenged The Rock one-on-one. Rollins said it was time to cut the head off the snake and he'd get his back in that battle because there's no such thing as fighting the bloodline one-on-one. Waller went to wrap it up when Theory stole the mic and did The Rock's lines, so the faces took him out. And Waller chose not to help him because Theory kind of stole the mic and butted into his segment. Rollins hit the stomp on Theory to end it. So there was no Rock, not that Dwayne was expected, and there was no real payoff from what Reigns told Waller on SmackDown, which I thought might be that they had already scheduled a, like, a tag team match for night one, or he knew something that no one else did, that he was going to wrestle both nights, something like that. Because again, Reigns said he had a secret for Waller, not a question for him to ask. He had something that was for his ears only. We never really got that. Now, no. it might be booking-wise, Cody pulling double duty at WrestleMania, with Rollins and Reigns only having their individual matches. Unless, of course, Rollins' comment about no one fighting them one-on-one, no one able to do that, was meant to allude to the fact that they're going to need to team up. And it can't be Cody and Rock. It has to be both of them, not just Seth being in Cody's corner. Rock is going to be on SmackDown this coming Friday, presumably to answer and clarify. And another option, obviously, is that that match doesn't happen at all, And we get Cody Rock for the title, let's say at SummerSlam. So just keep all of that in your head. But Chris, I would say this. It was still newsworthy, valuable, and entertaining as a segment. And I appreciated the tease of Cody like needing to address what happened on the SmackDown after the Royal Rumble, where he temporarily walked away from the match. Hopefully that's brought back as part of the WrestleMania build. If not, then it was a tease of closing a loophole that didn't actually close the loophole. All in all, right. it was a it was a fine way to get big names on the show. And since I started by shitting on Theory, I'll wrap up my take by saying he was hysterical in the final closing moments of this, flexing, taking off his shirt. When he was getting like hit by the guys, he was still screaming into the microphone as he flew across the ring. So Theory, rough at the beginning, great at the end. Everything else, entertaining, but was it all that valuable? I don't really know. I get to, I popped huge when he talked about Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> Getting the blue and onion. That was a good line. My wife was actually awake for a good chunk of the show because she was having trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. And so I, we just watched it together and she thought that was really funny too. Also, Cody, they showed at the beginning of the show, Cody walking into the arena. They showed everybody walking into the arena. Cody's wearing like a blue uh, a suit mm-hmm. uh, of vest uh, on a white shirt. So he came in in a suit only to change into another suit for this yes for this segment Indeed. i guess um but yeah it, it, like it was fine it was fun the entrances took like 10 minutes between seth and cody and ultimately it was mostly a waste of time like you said he mentions uh, i gotta explain why i got out of the main event and then came back in i was like oh okay finally and then you didn't really do it well they waller, waller interrupted him he literally stopped him from doing yeah. so yeah 
Yeah, they started talking about People's Champion, and I thought that was going to be the thing. Like, oh, the people convinced me to get back in or something. I don't know. What what did The Rock tell him, you know, to, for him to get right. out the first time? We still don't know. So that was weird. It, Cody specifically challenging The Rock to one-on-one mm-hmm. was surprising, too. I thought he would just challenge The Rock, and Seth says, I've got your back, and then that be, easily becomes a tag team match. It's a little, not that you can't do it, but I feel like challenging him to a one-on-one match only to make it a tag team match would be strange when you could have just not set it up as a one-on-one in the first place. So, well, um, true, but you know, you do have to give Rollins credit and the way they handle this. Rollins is like, look, like great that you want to fight him one-on-one, but there's no such thing of that with the bloodline. So, and then Cody was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So like, it was almost like, Hey, he has all the gumption to do it. But in reality, that's not going to be a successful situation. Yeah, I just you could again, you could just say, I'll fight you anytime, any place. And then same thing happens. Specifically saying one on one was interesting. Um, but yeah, this was ultimately it was fine. It was not as much as I was hoping for, but they made it entertaining. And so like it was fine. And, and you're right. Honestly, Grayson Waller and Austin Theory kind of made this work Mm -hmm. more than Seth and Cody did. So major credit to them. I love the two of them together. I assume they're going to break up here. The two of them with Logan. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think they're breaking up. Maybe. Yeah, maybe not. But the two of them with Logan Paul on SmackDown was really funny too. backstage with Kevin Owens on Friday. Like that was really great. So again, I've said it many times. I think Grayson Waller like is a star Mm -hmm. and I'm just always surprised he doesn't get to do more, but he, did really well here and credit to Austin Theory, who we ragged on a lot. He did really well here. Yeah. Uh, Waller's still, you know, young in his career, not necessarily young, but young in his career. So, I mean, he's got plenty of opportunity. Look who he's rubbing shoulders with on, you know, almost a monthly basis. It's been John Cena, The Rock, Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins. I mean, it's everybody. Like he's, he's the creme of the creme is with this guy. So, you know, you got to appreciate the way they're utilizing him. And it's not that dissimilar from, you know, the way the Miz started his career on in on the main roster in WWE. He wasn't a wrestler at first. I mean, he was a host. Then he started wrestling and then people made fun of him for a while. And then he actually became good and became WWE champion. So, you know, Waller's way ahead of where the Miz was. I think I said this on Tuesday show. So I have no doubt his ascension is going to continue pretty unabated. Uh, but yeah, I don't really have any concerns about Waller and Theory breaking up. I think it's very clear for Waller to be like, yo, man, you stole my spotlight in my home country. I wasn't going to help you right there. And, you know, very, very simple. Uh, theory's like, oh, yeah, my bad, bro. And that's it. And they just keep going with their lives. Just one thing I want to make sure is not lost on everyone when we talk about this segment is let's not forget the circumstances of everything. CM Punk injured. Seth Rollins injured, can't wrestle. Cody Rhodes, whatever his plan was going to be, had to change. Uh, I had heard at one point they talked about Cody Drew McIntyre on the show. Another time I heard it was going to be Cody and Bronson Reed. I also heard it was possibly Seth Rollins and Bronson Reed or Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre. All that had to get changed. So all of those circumstances, WWE said, look, we had two guys who were supposed to wrestle on the show three, including CM Punk. None of them are able to do it. What are we going to do to still get these crowd pops and, and feel allow the crowd to feel like they're getting their money's worth? They got them on screen. They did the entrances. They had a long segment. You know, let's just not forget that part of it. Was the segment great? No, but were the fans happy? Yes, they were. And that's what matters most when you do something like this on a premium live event. So let's go to the men's elimination chamber. 
Uh, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, Bobby Lashley, LA Knight, Kevin Owens, and Logan Paul. Before we get to the match, there were two kind of developments, let's call them, on SmackDown. So first, Drew backstage took another shot at CM Punk, expressing the importance of winning Chamber for everything he's attempting to accomplish. Lashley came up, laughed in his face about having beaten him at WrestleMania 37. Later, McIntyre said he'd pray for Lashley after he got attacked during the show by Karrion Cross. Even later, KO talked shit to Logan, Grayson Waller, and Austin Theory. This is what you were mentioning. And there was a funny moment where after that ended, all the heels realized, like, we could have just jumped him three on one, but we missed <laughs> the opportunity. It, it was awesome to see the Lashley-McIntyre interaction and the callback. Lashley actually roasted Drew's ass at the end of that. And then the Logan segment was even better to some degree. I wouldn't mind those three guys as a group of, like, annoying, social media-obsessed assholes. And the fact that Logan kind of used Kevin Owens' logic in this segment just worked for me so well. Yeah, it was hilarious. It, it, it really was. I think you're right. The three of those guys, social media, all kinds of stuff. I mean, Austin Derry used to come in with the selfies and all that. Mm-hmm. And Grayson Waller is always talking about, so he's always doing Instagram Live and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to see just more of those guys. They're really funny. Yeah, they're just... Guys that you absolutely would love to hate, but they're comedic and they're really, really talented, all three of them. So it works as a trio, and I actually hope they do something with that. Also on SmackDown, we had Knight against McIntyre in the main event. Logan and KO joined commentary. McIntyre did the seesaw into the bottom of the ring and later hit a future shock CDT before Knight dodged Claymore. McIntyre threw Knight into Owens, which led to an attack and a DQ, then drew through KO into Logan. Uh, L.A., Caught Drew with the BFT. Lashley appeared out of nowhere to spear Knight. Owens stunned Paul. Lashley speared Owens to end it until McIntyre appeared out of nowhere with a Claymore on Lashley. And then Orton appeared out of nowhere with an RKO on McIntyre. We didn't even know he was on the show. And I kept thinking, man, you know, based on WWE rules, maybe Drew isn't winning this match. And then Randy shows up, puts a perfect capper on it and clears the pathway for Drew to go ahead and win Elimination Chamber. Commentary here was as entertaining as the match. KO and Logan were both great. It was a fine go-home moment, and it was very similar. If you YouTube best SmackDown ending ever, it's like a finisher spam end to SmackDown with like Kurt Angle, The Rock, The Undertaker, Kane, Stone Cold Steve Austin. There's others involved as well. This was very similar to that. Obviously, the names don't match up. And that one, if you go and watch that YouTube video, it's hype as hell. And you're going to be like, I can't believe I don't remember this because it's one of those things that just passes by. But this was very similar to that. And I it popped me for that reason. Highlight of this for me was Kevin Owens on commentary when uh, they mentioned tomorrow morning in Australia. And Kevin Owens was like, what? Right. Like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> how am I going to get there? Like, yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah, this was because this was recorded a week prior, he's like, "Oh, you got to be confused with all the time changes and everything." <laughs> he had to catch himself because it was funny that they kept saying tomorrow. And I was, I'm watching LA Night and Drew McIntyre and in Salt Lake City tomorrow morning. Yeah. As in, you're telling me tomorrow morning, as in like six hours from now, <laughs> they're going to be in Australia wrestling. Like he didn't totally line up. Yeah, and Kevin Owens uh, not quite catching that, uh, but reacting was pretty funny. All right, let's move to the match itself. The only other thing I'll note before the match is KO walked into the stadium holding a koala because, of course, he did. It was very cute. Uh, Everyone got really strong reactions with McIntyre and Knight starting. Fans chanted CM Punk as Drew dominated early. Knight slammed McIntyre into two pods. Logan laughed while watching, and KO tried to hit him through the plexiglass. 
Owens was first out hitting a chokeslam for a sick kid who asked him to do it, plus a codebreaker senton combo. He did Orton's pose on the ropes right in front of his pod. Lashley wrecked house, and Orton sold the back heavily after hitting a draping DDT outside, so much so that commentary like did not stop talking about it. And Orton was selling it even after hitting just like normal offensive moves. Logan was out last with Owens waiting for him. KO kicked his ass into and around the pod. Lashley then threw Owens into a pod and speared Paul through another one. Straight up murdered him. Holy shit chance and thank you Bobby chance after that. McIntyre then caught him with a Claymore ringside and another Claymore inside as Lashley was selling his elbow for the first elimination. He got the WrestleMania 37 revenge. Three referees helped Lashley out and that was done to create an opening for the cage door to remain ajar. So Knight hits two BFTs. He's about to pin McIntyre when AJ Styles runs in with a chair, wears it out on LA Knight, then hits a Styles clash into the chair. McIntyre draped an arm over him for the second elimination. KO again murdered Logan, hitting a swanton bomb on Orton before Drew got knees up on another one. Owens countered Claymore with a pop-up powerbomb, then stunned Paul. Orton countered a stunner with an RKO and eliminated KO. Drew kipped up only for Logan to catch him flying off the pod. Then Logan pulled out the brass knuckles, which were legal, obviously, in the match. As Paul celebrated having them, he was pumping his fist up in the air. Orton caught him blind with an RKO for a delayed cover one, two, three. Orton hit the draping DDT and sold the back more. Drew countered RKO with a spine buster, but Randy collapsed before a Claymore attempt. McIntyre picked up Orton only to eat an RKO, but Logan was playing possum. Punches Randy right in the face. He crumples down like the life was taken out of him. And that allowed McIntyre to drape an arm again to get the one, two, three in 37 minutes. Tons of fireworks, tons of pyro. But I want you to know this. I prayed for this and it happened. Got a bunch of thoughts on this one. First, here I was in the ultimate preview pointing out, well, you know, there's not really a bunch of high flyers in this match to do spectacular moves. So WWE is like, so what? We're going to have these guys beat the ever loving shit out of each other. And that's exactly what happened. And that worked quite well. The open door attack with Styles, it was repetitive from Rollins and Logan Paul last year. That was frustrating. But it also directly set up a WrestleMania match that needed some juice. Knight Styles instead of the US title match, we expected. It seems like that's where they're going. And it was fun in kayfabe that AJ flew all the way to Perth, like 30 hours, just to <laughs> screw over AJ uh, LA Knight. We think Drew McIntyre is a hater. AJ Styles is a freaking hater. I was also surprised Logan did not take out KO as part of the eliminations. And then finally, I understand why Logan punched Orton, like retribution for the elimination. But I don't understand why they would do that sequence for two reasons. One, it doesn't seem to set up anything directly between them unless they're going to do a triple threat for the title or maybe a five-way for the title. And it also reduced the impact of McIntyre beating Orton to win the match. I would have loved to see him hit a Claymore and just beat him. But they got me thinking that Orton might win for a moment. And that swerve played because the expectation was, oh, obviously Drew McIntyre is just going to win. Still, with McIntyre's victory, it could have been a little bit more impactful. Not that Drew needs the boost entirely. He just beat Cody, but it wouldn't have hurt. I'm at an A for this match, but I was on my way higher for a good portion of it. It really had a chance, but I mean, it was super entertaining and fun. The crowd was 1000% into it. 
Just a little bit repetitive, a little bit overbooked in the finish, 4.25 stars and an A, but extra credit to Orton. Master class in selling the hell out of everything, especially the brass knuckles. He was the MVP of the entire match. I might go with a higher grade on rewatch when I can keep my eyes open, but this was a great men's chamber match. Yeah, they did a good job of selling the possibility that Orton had re-hurt uh, the back mm-hmm. uh, when he gets slammed outside. and com- The way Graves and Cole talked about it, they were talking as if they didn't know if he was really hurt mm-hmm. or not. And that comes through as a viewer that makes you think that. Now, they, when you keep seeing Randy Orton and when he's in, when he rolls back into the ring to kind of sell the back, then you're like, okay, he's fine because he wouldn't be in the ring. Right. No and one was really checking on him and, or anything like that. Yeah, he's doing a move and then selling it. And you're like, okay, he's okay. But for a right. while there, they 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 had you thinking about it. So that was uh, well done by him. The highlight really was Kevin Owens and Logan Paul again. Mm-hmm. I think of the various interactions that they had. That when when Logan Paul's head's getting slammed into the thing and Kevin Owens is punching it through the thing. It was really funny. Uh, Kevin Owens waiting right there to get into Logan Paul's pod when it opens was funny. Like, uh, you know, I, I had said coming into this, I want to see the LA night Logan Paul moment and then get excited for that. Hope hopefully happening. We obviously didn't get it. Mm -hmm. It's obviously not happening. That's unfortunate. I am sad about that. Yeah. But Kevin Owens has continued to keep the feud with him. Logan Paul, hot and interesting and fresh and fun. And assuming that's what we get at WrestleMania, that's going to be uh, really good. Yeah. And a, and a third and a third straight major, major spot for him uh, as well. Um, you mean for KO? Yes. Kevin Owens. Sorry. Right. Um, one other thing commentary mentioned, uh, I think it was during Logan Paul's entrance, maybe about like you can't about how quickly Logan Paul has picked this up mm-hmm. wrestling. I don't think we can say that anymore. It's been two years almost so, since his first match. He's only had a handful of matches. That's I know, what I was going to say. I think we, we, yeah. we, we can no longer refer to him as like a rookie or a guy who, who who hasn't been doing this very long, so to speak. I mean, Kurt Angle became world champ within two years of, of joining WWE. At this point, Logan Paul is just a wrestler, and he's just a really good wrestler. Yeah, you know? but, but again, and, the, the point that point, you made is key, though. It's like, yeah, okay, Kurt Angle became champion in two years, but he also wrestled 400 times. You know, Logan Paul right. said eight matches or something like that. I mean, probably less. Than right, that. right, right. He's he's not new though. You know, he, no, he's not it, new. It will yeah. have been two years since he had that WrestleMania 38 match, which he did really well. And he's he's had a world title match. He's a U.S. champion. He's in all the big matches. He's just part of the roster now and yeah. really good at it. So I, I think that's all good. Um, only other thing I was going to bring this up. I think you tweeted about it. We kind of talked about it on the last pod when they were up uh, when they were looking above. And, and showing who's going to come in next from the chamber, mm-hmm. they included the 2K ratings for all of them. Ugh, the ratings were so bad, man. Other than, well, I don't, I think Kevin Owens is too low. Kevin Owens was an 86 I, and Logan Paul is a 90. Kevin Owens is a former champion and a multi-time champion, like different titles, tag team titles, mid-card right. titles. Well, I, I mean, Logan Paul's got a really good track record if you just look at his win-loss and who he's beaten, all that kind of stuff. And he's U.S. champion. I actually thought that was fine. But I actually, I did like it. I do, again, again, I like seeing the 2K ratings on there. For whatever reason, I'm just, I'm a fan of it. And I, I just, I noticed it and I liked it. And I don't think you did, but I wanted to mention it. Uh, Logan Paul, just for clarity, he's had 11 matches. That includes Royal Rumbles and, and the Elimination Chamber. He's had 11 matches in 22 months. So 
pretty freaking good. Um, you know, one match every two months. He wins the vast majority of them. As you pointed out, I'm looking at right now, I'm stalling a little bit to count how many he lost. He's lost five he matches. Lost he's he's uh, six and five, but his losses, really? his only singles losses are to Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. His other losses are Royal Rumble, Money in the Bank, and oh. uh, Elimination Chamber. Yeah. So... Pretty good. That, I mean, think about that. The guy's only two singles losses in his WWE career are Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. Like literally your two champions right now. So yeah. Well, that, I guess great. he, no, I no, Yeah. He did beat Kevin Owens. He would have lost, but he beat him by disqualification. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Wins a win. That's what they say. Uh, I, yep. I can't wait, by the way, just coming out of this. If we look ahead to raw, I can't wait for drew to put himself over for like coming out of the match strong when all three of his eliminations were circumstantial. And it's going to be such a strong part of building his character and his story going into WrestleMania where, you know, he's the one who kept getting screwed. He's the one where everyone else would take shortcuts around him. Now he's the one taking shortcuts. Now he's the one screwing yes. other people. I hope that they pull the effing trigger for this guy in April. He needs to be world heavyweight champion. There's a lot of things they can do. They can have him win. They could have Damian Priest cash in. They can have him win and carry the title all the way until CM Punk gets healthy and do that match. I mean, hopefully at SummerSlam, but maybe a little bit later if Punk needs more time. But no matter what, the end of his match with Seth Rollins, whether Sami Zayn's involved or whether he's not, one, two, three, McIntyre needs to at least have that championship on his shoulder. 100%. And, and normally I would say, look, we liked Drew McIntyre as a heel because he was saying things that were true because he was uh, winning matches in dominant fashion and backing things up. He, he's a, a heel you can fear and a heel who's right. And mm -hmm. now he's transitioning to a heel who's going to cheat to win and not look as strong and yada, yada, yada. That's what happened with Roman Reigns. And we've been really annoyed by that. But this fits into the story, like you said, yep. because he was complaining about getting screwed over. And now he's the one taking advantage of that it fits in this situation it's what's it's it's a different way to get there and it works better the way that match was booked especially his eliminations was extremely deliberate and i think when we look at matches and we grade them and we talk about well the work rate was this and the crowd was this the story this is why storytelling is so important for me when i watch matches and when i try to enjoy matches because when you take that into consideration and then you look at well you know, uh, Randy eliminated Logan, which led to the punch, which allowed, um, you know, McIntyre to drape the arm instead of have to beat Orton. You know, I don't think Orton is in a point in his career where McIntyre can't hit him with a Claymore and win clean and Orton's hurt by that. I mean, you know, that's not a huge issue. But the fact that they did it this way for storyline purposes, it rings important. And again, it's part of why this match was booked so well. And you know what else added to this match, Chris, that I forgot to mention? These guys were soaking wet from the heat and humidity in Perth. Like LA Knight, I've never seen his hair like that before. It looked like they had just run through this gauntlet. It was like an hour and a half long match and they were lucky to be alive coming out of it. That for me really added to the moment, especially those finishing sequences where these guys are dripping wet and they're barely getting out of there. And McIntyre, he's celebrating, but he's soaked. The pyro's going off. He looks like he went through a war, which is what Elimination Chamber is supposed to be. Yeah, I actually looked up during the women's match because the commentary was talking about the heat. I looked up the weather. It was 77 degrees with 65% humidity 
at least at the start of the show, which is going to make you sweat. Yeah, no question about it. So let's go to the tag team championship. Finn Balor and Damian Priest defending against Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne. First on SmackDown, Bate and Dunne fought and defeated Dominic Mysterio and JD McDonough. Dunne had a quality hot tag. Both heels got the helicopter before JD ate a tandem rebound lariat, released German suplex. Dunne countered Devil Inside, only to eat a Spanish fly. And the faces eventually hit the two-man Tyler driver for the win. They also escaped an attack from the champions. It was a terrific match. It built and built and built ahead of a really big win for a growing team. I went 3.75 stars, B+. It was the best part of the go-home SmackDown. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I like the, the the concept. You know, hey, you're going to scout them. This is why it's nice having four men in it, because two can be the lackeys and mm-hmm. do that, setting it up for Finn and Priest. Um, so it worked. Also, New Catch Republic is very quickly growing on me. I know we talked about it on the preview. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I saw a line from someone. I'm forgetting. Did someone tweet this to me or did someone say it on commentary? I, I want to give proper credit. And I, I'm sorry, I'm going to fail whoever I heard this from. Um, but someone, I think, wrote in on Twitter. And I'm trying to like delay and scroll so I can find it. But uh, they said that New Catch Republic sounds like a place where their wife would go and get clothes. That was Corey Graves. Oh, Corey Graves said that. Okay. Uh, so yeah. there you go. So I said it was like a, a seafood restaurant. <laughs> he said somewhere where Carmela, I guess, would go and get clothes. Um, the name's not growing on me, but I'm sure eventually it will. They did get a team logo. They have a new entrance yeah. theme. They kept their separate gear. I did wish the gear not it didn't have to look Agreed. the same, but I wished it matched a little bit more. And Agreed. Michael Cole did try to explain the name. But he didn't actually explain anything other than the catch part, which is the only part that actually makes sense. So, no, if, no, because most I don't think most Americans know what catch means. That's why I had to ask on our last episode. That's the part that needs. OK, but the problem with the name is the Republic part, not the catch part is what I'm trying to explain. I, it, it's fine. I, I, I have no I have no problem. The only thing that I had confusion about was the catch part. I, I look, these guys are getting uh, music, uh, logos all this stuff. Meanwhile, we've got all these other tag teams that have been together for a while. I know. don't have that. Stuff. I know. So credit to these guys for putting it together because it, it yeah. adds to their presentation. Like pretty much every, name, pretty much every stuff. women's tag team does not have a name. And it's just like, why? <laughs> like, why can't you, you guys have been wrestling for months together. Why would you not come up with a name, a logo, all that stuff? Don't you want to sell merch and kayfabe? It's ridiculous. Anyway, right. let's get to the match. Uh, Dominic Mysterio got booed out of the stadium. He did the ring announce for Judgment Day. Dunn had a really strong hot tag with a moonsault outside. Balor ate a rebound lariat German suplex. Priest hit an arm hook lariat, turning bait inside out. He came back with like a deep six move and then a helicopter spin on Priest into a slam. Balor took bitter end, but Dom slid his foot under the bottom rope. Bate saw it and literally tattletailed to the referee who ejected Dom from ringside. Dunn avoided the coup de grace and snapped Balor's fingers with Finn eating the double Tyler driver for a broken fall. Priest caught Dunn flying outside for a flatliner into the ring apron. Bate caught him with a rebound lariat at ringside. Bate countered Razor's edge, but Priest tripped when he was supposed to like fly into Balor in the corner. Minor botch. He ate a double bop and bang and then a burning hammer for a false finish. Balor stopped a double move on Priest in the corner, allowing Priest to hit a double avalanche choke slam before Balor flew in from the other corner with coup de gras for the one, two, three, and 18 minutes to retain the titles. I only have one criticism of this match, and it's the double burning hammer kickout. Now, they're calling it 
a Birmingham or like the English city, but that's a finishing move. And that should yeah. result in a fall 99% of the time, especially the first time it's ever used. You don't debut that move and then have a guy kick out at 2.5. Yeah. That was just ridiculous. It was dumb. It pissed me off. Other than that, and that was just one move on an entire match, this was excellent. It was perfectly yeah. booked for Bate and Dunn to be fully legitimized as a team and fully get over with the fans while the champions stayed strong with a real clean victory going into WrestleMania. It was probably, and I know they've had a lot of good matches with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and all that, but those were months ago. This was the best match for Balor and Priest as champions in a long ass time. I went 4.25 stars and an A for this match. This was, give me the Seamus banger drop. This was an absolute banger. Incredible. Just incredible from start to finish. And here, here's a huge part of this that I've talked about a couple times with Tyler Bate. He put the hair back <laughs> into a bun type of ponytail thing. He looked yeah. so much better. He looked so much more legitimate, and and it just his his just his proportions of everything. It totally worked. I really think that added a lot to how it looked. And I love the so this is right after the sunset, by the way, mm -hmm. and the lighting on this match was different than anything else on the show. I don't know if they had not turned all the lights on or something, but it was particularly dark for this match. I think it looked awesome. Mm. I, I it, When you go back and rewatch it, compare the lighting in this match to everything else post-sunset, I, I just it really jumped out to me. I thought it was great. Um, I agree on the Birmingham. Should have been a finishing move. I thought it was awesome. Um, and I love the finish. Re really cool, fun, creative finish as well. Uh, everything about this worked like all four of these guys absolutely delivered. It was awesome. And we didn't get any R-Truth, which was great. <laughs> For now, and did, did I, you know uh, R-Truth did try to go to Australia? He wound up in yes, Austria. Yes, this was, I did. I, so commentary <laughs> says R-Truth tried to make it here, but he ended up in Austria. Yeah. Which, which he posted is, a video of it. Which is it's funny. Hilarious. I couldn't find the video. I went to the Twitter oh, and Instagram yeah. accounts. I couldn't find it. So I still need to find it. I mean, he's not actually um, there. He did it from a car, but nevertheless, you know. Yeah, I thought WWE way. would have posted it. Maybe I got to go to his socials. I didn't check that. But that was hilarious. But but not having our truth there, allowing Dominic then to get the mic and do the introduction. Mm -hmm. I had just been thinking that Dominic has lost some of his heat because our truth is taking up all the attention. He's not there. Dominic gets to do the thing and the crowd goes freaking nuts. Yeah. Booing him. It's been a while since we had Dominic in that position. It and was I think it's so just had... loud, Chris. Yes, it was and so it, it, loud. It, so loud. And he's, he's yelling out of the microphone. Like he's literally yelling and it's a stadium because he can't hear himself. Like that is a reminder of how, over he was as a heel and where judgment day was and how our truth i think is taking off a yeah. lot of that edge um there was also early on in this match a dom is a wanker chant mm -hmm. toward him which is pretty funny and there were yeah, two others because i was going to mention that there was also senor wanker for damian priest <laughs> and fuck you dom was another chant and finn balor i forget which chant he heard but he turned around and the camera caught him audibly saying this, even though he didn't, I don't think he meant to say it. He goes, don't say that. That's not PG, which just popped me while I was watching it. <laughs> so this was, for me, this was match of the night. 
I thought this was awesome, well done. Bait and Dunn looked great coming out of it. Judgment Day looked great coming out of it. They just got to be themselves again. Yes. And not dealing with this all this R Truth stuff. Very refreshing. I loved this. Uh, th- that is the best point. This reminded us what Judgment Day was and what it can be. But I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Because, man, and we keep saying it on the podcast, but the R-Truth, Miz, Awesome Truth team, I, it just feels like that's going to be the WrestleMania match and like we're not going to get away from it. And it's so strange. It, it's so strange that you put this kind of banger for the tag team titles on this show and then you go and put the biggest entertainment match, I guess, if you want to call it, comedy match that you can put together. And that's going to be the the one for WrestleMania. Yeah. I, I just don't my, get it. My, again, my my biggest issue with with Awesome Truth, if they're the, the the tag team that faces them for the championship match, my issue is not that it's them two. My issue is they haven't told a good story around it. There's no there's no real reason to well, other be around it other than it's funny. Also, they, it's a month away. It's it, five weeks away. So we have to do five right, more weeks of the storyline just to get to it. Again, we we didn't get a serious beatdown. Like our truth hasn't gotten any sympathy out of this. He's just gotten laughs. Right. But then again, he got huge huge ass the chance. Crowd on loves Raw it though. or whatever it was. Yeah. Crowds into it. I I can't deny. It. I just wish they could put a little more edge on this story. Agreed. All right, let's move to the single kickoff show match. Women's Tag Team Championship Kabuki Warriors defending against Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae. I thought it was strange. This did not get the championship treatment in terms of like the ring presentation. I presume it's because it was the kickoff show. The LED boards were also off. Fans were pumped for Indy to start and even on her delayed hot tag. Indy was in Aussie national colors, got a lot of offense in two different stretches. Candice was dressed like Bingo from Bluey, which was really cute for the kids. The challengers did an assisted tightrope walk only for Kyrie to pull Indy out of the ring. That resulted in Candice falling. Indy then got run into the ring post outside as Candice ate the insane elbow with the champions retaining the title in nine minutes. The faces, though, got a standing ovation, obviously mostly for Indy. I was fine with the Kabuki Warriors retaining, and I was fine with the final sequence. But it was strange that there was no effort given for Indy to get like a false finish, for there to be a moment where you thought she might win the match for her team. Maybe the idea was not to raise and then crush hopes for the crowd in a kickoff show, but I felt like all four of them had another gear they did not reach. There was nothing wrong with it. Indy did get her moment in her home country. You could tell her heart was swelling the entire time. She could not stop smiling, and it was actually her best work on the main roster thus far, but it was basically a house show match on a premium live event. 2.75 stars, C+. I did not see this. Uh, I thought it was going to be on the main show. I woke up, saw you tweet uh, her entrance and realized, oh, this is on the kickoff show and never had time to go back and watch it. Well, four o'clock for you was early enough anyway. Waking up at 3.30 would have been ridiculous. So I'll give you an excuse on that one. But this match did mean, Chris, that Bronson Reed was the only Australian main roster superstar not featured at Elimination Chamber. Now, we discussed during the Ultimate Preview that his wife was pregnant and it was possible he could not go. Earlier this week on Twitter, he said his wife was indeed pregnant, but it was not the reason he didn't go, just that the stars did not align booking-wise. I mentioned earlier how there were pitches with Cody um, and Seth for matches, but they basically just didn't happen. And then, during the show, Bronson Reed tweets again that his wife actually ended up having the baby early. So it was all a blessing in disguise. He thanked Triple H for his counsel. Triple H actually tweeted at him during the show. So 
this is one of those situations where it was like making by far the best of a bad scenario. The guy doesn't get booked on his hometown show yet. He gets to be there for the birth of his kid. You can't ask for something to be more kismet than that. Totally. Totally. Uh, saw him tweet that in the tweets during the show. Congratulations to the family. And also CM Punk posted on Instagram before Chamber that he had a rough mental health day because it was tough for him to stay positive when he was supposed to be out there performing in Perth. Obviously, he wasn't just supposed to be performing. He was supposed to be winning the men's elimination chamber match. Glad WWE is still using him while injured. This should help him long term. And hopefully, obviously, the mental health stuff works. But I just figured I'd mention that because that was something that came out during the show. So, Chris, with that said, let's go ahead and move to our grades portion of this instant analysis. We'll start with our pre-show expectation grades. Both you and I were at a B plus coming into the show. The listeners, their votes were 28% A, 62% B, and 10% C. That averages out to an 87 out of 100. So a B plus, but I think they were not as bullish as you and I were coming into the show. So those were the pre-show grades. Let's now contextualize those with our final grades for WWE Elimination Chamber. And Chris, as always, when we do this segment, you get to go first. So what is your final grade for Elimination Chamber? B plus, uh, high B plus, like 89 out of 100. Um, everything in the show was good. There just wasn't a ton of like moments. You know, there were no title changes. We got the expected winners out of the chambers. Everything was just real solid across the board. I thought the men's tag was the match of the night, but nothing, you know, when I think, what is it, what's the show? What are you going to remember coming out of this show? It's simply going to be just Rhea and the reaction she's getting in her celebrating in her hometown. Like th- that, that's about it. There, there, there wasn't a, a spot or a match or a title change that made it memorable. It was just all really, really solid. And that's, and and that's about it. So high B plus. Okay. I actually am a little bit more bullish than you on this. You know, it was a four match card, not counting the kickoff show. The kickoff show didn't really matter here. And even though entire show grades are not the sum of the parts in terms of match quality, I had three A matches on this show, three A, A minus, you know, level matches and a B plus. Uh, Every single match delivered to a different degree. I was super entertained. I thought coming into this that I was going to regret waking up early and say to myself, man, you know, I wish I just slept in and started this two hours later and just did it that way. And because I'm not going to really have missed anything. And granted, I wouldn't have missed anything because every single match finished exactly the way we expected it to in terms of the winner at a minimum. But I'll be damned if I didn't come out of that show having a great time, having a smile on my face for many portions of it. The men's tag team match, I would say, exceeded expectations. We got the right winners. We mostly got the right sequences. There was very little to criticize. And again, even the Grayson Waller effect segment. Yeah, you know, I I wish that they delivered a little bit more. But man, seeing that crowd and the spectacle and all of it together that to me is better than a B plus show. I thought it was an excellent stadium show. I'm slightly, I mean, we're splitting hairs really is the truth. Would you say 89 out of hundred? I'm at a 90. I thought it was an A minus yes. at a 90, but, but I, but I do believe it was an A minus. I believe it was better than a B plus. It exceeded my pre-show expectation coming in 
So that is my grade. And the listeners actually, this also exceeded their expectations. So in all three cases, you were a higher B plus than you expected. I was an A minus coming out of a B plus. Again, the pre-show grade from the listeners was 87 out of 100. Their post-show grades were 38.2% A, 55.5% B, and I think 6.4% C. I I lost the screen. I wrote the numbers down. Uh, That averages out to an 88.5. So they were also a point and a half higher than expectation coming in that does round up to an 89. And we're pretty much all on the same page. It was right on the threshold of B plus, A minus. And I thought that show delivered as much as it possibly could have. I don't know that it could have been better than it was based on what was booked. Yes, exactly. You know, um, we didn't have any men's singles title matches. We only had one women's singles title match. Um, Yeah, just everything was good. Nothing was like... Nothing was even me. No, nothing was even mediocre outside of the kickoff yeah. show match. No, I agree. Yeah. Every, everything no, I agree. was good everything to very good really to good. great on the show. I, I I agree when you say they they maximized what the show could have been. Yeah, I completely agree on that point. Ba- based on the, the circ- best way to put it. Based on the circumstances, based on not having Seth Rollins, based on deciding not to wrestle Cody Rhodes, not having CM Punk, Gunther unable to go over there due to visa issues, Roman Reigns and The Rock not being there. I mean. Based on all of that, they did as much as they possibly could. Could could all of the matches work rate have been better? Sure. I guess in any situation, you could say that they could have been five minutes longer and done flips and all these types of things that we like. But really, you're picking, you're splitting hairs there is the term I'm looking for. It was an excellent mm-hmm. show. I do also want to get uh, Nims Azor at Doc Nims in. He's one of our Aussie fans. He was there live. I tweeted a video that he shot. I believe it was of Rhea Ripley's entrance. He says, this sounds like hyperbole, but I've been to a WrestleMania and the way Perth and Western Australia embraced this event made it such a success. Streets were covered with posters. Superstars were very generous with their time for appearances in media. This was meant to be Australia's WrestleMania. And I got very similar other comments, uh, tweets that are much shorter and less specific. I've seen similar comments from other Aussies in Perth and Western Australia that felt the same way. So clearly WWE at a minimum developed a shit ton of goodwill uh, in that country, or at least that part of the country. And I'm sure it really does extend uh, to the East coast of Australia as well. So Chris, that was our grades uh, segment. I do want to reiterate that on Tuesday, our next WWE show, we may have a second look at elimination chamber might include some additional notes will definitely include your tweets and DMs, comments and questions during and about Elimination Chamber. We will make sure we get to that on Tuesday's show. One last thought here um, mm-hmm. or about Elimination Chamber and the time of this show. I think we got we have to shout out the European fans of <laughs> sure. WWE yes. who have to do this every single time there is a PLE, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, you know, I like I, I tweeted about can't believe I'm up at 4 a.m. to watch wrestling. And, you know, I had come into this thinking, man, Aussies, how do you do it? And then I realized, no, it's the Europeans who have to handle this all the time. They're dealing with the similar time differences when we have a eight o'clock Eastern pay-per-view uh, in the United States. It's really, really early in the morning there. So shout out to the European fans who now we know what that experience is like. 
and we salute you and acknowledge you for everything you have to deal with. So I say yes and no to that. Here's why. And I'm not downplaying that the dedication of those fans having to wake up early, but like an 8 p.m. Eastern premium live event in the United States is 1 a.m. And maybe it's only me because I'm a crazy person, but I frequently stay up or I, I shouldn't say frequently. That's incorrect. On a nightly basis, I'm usually up to 1 or 2 a.m. So staying up to 3 or 4 for me would not be strange. I think waking up at 4 a.m. is quite different than staying up until 4 a.m., meaning it's the start of the show as opposed to the end of the show. So I'm not you know, crapping on them, and I know I only mentioned England, and I'm sure it's even later, of course, in Germany or Austria or you know wherever else. Yes. Um, I'm just saying this was immensely difficult. That's still difficult. I think it's a little bit less so on the scale. It was interesting because like you're if it's later, staying up for a show is different. I was getting more tired as the show was going on. Me too. That's I what I'm saying. A little, yeah. I was getting a little droopy eyed during the men's chamber match, but then the sun came up. How much sleep did you get? So it, I went to bed at like 10 my time. Like I knew it was good. I knew it was what time be do you normally go to bed? Early wake up. I normally go to bed like 12, 1230. Okay. So like I, I normally go to bed at two ish and I went to bed. I think I fell asleep at midnight, probably right around there. My problem was I, I guess I drank a lot of water. I woke up a few times to go to the bathroom. So I didn't get like four and a half straight hours or, you know, however many straight hours, uh, I got them in chunks. And by the time I woke up and my alarm went off, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. So maybe I'm just a little bit cranky. So you can just ignore that. Um, but regardless, yes, to your point, the fact that this is the only time we really had to deal with this and there's people in other countries, again, whether it's England, whether it's Germany, whether it's Japan, wherever, uh, Australia, obviously, that constantly deal with this immense time difference and still watch the product religiously. Like you deserve a lot of credit because I don't know that I could do it as consistently as you know you all do. So um, I'm glad certainly to have all of you as listeners. And yes, I guess we got a taste of uh, what you have to deal with on a monthly, really, basis. Not to mention the weekly shows. I don't know when people watch Raw and SmackDown and all that, but at least for premium live events, it is certainly a difficulty. Before we wrap up, just since we do have a little bit of extra time here, we haven't gone too long yet, let's take a look at the refreshed uh, WrestleMania 40 card. And I thought we would have a bunch more answers, but actually, I only have more questions coming out of Elimination Chamber. So let's go and talk about what we know with 100% certainty. The undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Cody Rhodes, the Women's World Championship, Rhea Ripley defending against Becky Lynch, the WWE Women's Championship, EO Sky defending against Bayley. We have Jay Uso against Jimmy Uso. Those four matches we can basically say are confirmed, not changing, good to go. This is where everything else gets a little bit complicated. We have the World Heavyweight Championship, Seth Rollins against Drew McIntyre. That seems to be set in stone, but they are telling this rocky underdog story with Sami Zayn. So before we go and talk about the SmackDown side, Chris, do you think Sami ultimately winds up in this match? Do you think he perhaps winds up facing Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship? Or do you think there's something completely different planned for him? I... I think Sami Zayn ends up in this match only because I don't think Drew and Seth is much of a story and hasn't been, you know, it, it, it's been 
it's been Seth and Cody and Rock and Roman and Punk and, and, and all that. And then Drew's just kind of been on the outside. We did have Drew Seth, you know, for a minute in a promo. But, and there is a Drew Sammy um, story. Yeah, and there very much is a Drew Sammy story. Right. So that that would be my guess, especially if we think we're going to get a, if we get a tag team match, uh, for sure. I don't think Seth, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, there's enough there. At least, yeah, I mean, there's time. There's definitely time to add a story, but you figure they continue to have Seth around the Cody Rock Roman stuff that there's going to be maybe less time for just Drew and Seth. Right. I think that Sammy and Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship just does not make sense. He's already had that title a couple times. I know he went from saying world championship to championship, which could mean that, sure, he toppling Gunther's record Intercontinental uh, Championship reign, that is a huge accomplishment. It would be a monumental win. But again, it's a title he's already had. So I actually think there's only really two options for Sammy. One is to be added to this match for basically the reasons that you stated. The Sammy Drew storyline is immensely strong. Drew and Seth is pretty good. And then Seth and Sammy, there's that baby face kind of, but yeah, Sammy really wants the title, so F you. Like, that would be a real interesting situation. Another option is because Seth Rollins would be theoretically fighting two matches in as many nights, even though he's a baby face, and even though that can be used as an excuse for him to drop the title, they could do something. Like McIntyre, Sami Zayn on night one. If Sami wins, he gets added to the match. That way, everyone is fighting two matches, and it's yeah, fair. That's that's way too much. Too that's way too much. Multiple matches. I agree. People. I'm just saying it's not. I'm just saying it's a possibility. It could be a kickoff show match. It could be on the sm- go home SmackDown. There's a lot of things they could do, but I think this is going to wind up being a triple threat. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Let's now move to the SmackDown side. I think it's pretty damn clear that at a minimum, we're going to get Logan Paul and Kevin Owens for the United States Championship. We thought it was going to be LA Knight. This was going to be the crowning moment for LA Knight. It might still be, but again, the minimum is Logan Paul and Kevin Owens. But Chris, coming out of Elimination Chamber, we now have LA Knight and AJ Styles clearly continuing their feud. And we have Randy Orton getting involved with Logan Paul. And Kevin Owens, because I believe he eliminated Owens, if memory serves. Then he got knocked, he eliminated Paul, then he got knocked out by Paul. So that match could be a triple threat. Another option is that it's a fatal five-way or a ladder match, and all of these guys are in one singular match. What machination of this do you think that we're going to get? Logan Paul, Kevin Owens. Logan Paul, Kevin Owens, Randy Orton with LA Knight and AJ Styles separate or all five of them in one match. I I think we're going to get them separate partly because we just got them all in a multi-man match. You know, like like it, it would have made sense prior. I mean, again, I, I thought I think it would have made sense originally if this elimination chamber was going to be for the U.S. Mm-hmm. title, uh, but then all the injuries and it, it changes. I don't know if you do a ladder match with pretty much all these same guys right if you're doing an elimination chamber uh, with all these guys. I, It's possible. I just think there's so many holes on the card right now, you know, that we got to come up with quite a few matches. And I think separating them might make more sense uh, ultimately. So do you think it's a triple threat and then a singles match? Uh, a triple threat with who again? Uh, Owens, Orton, and Logan. 
Yes. I'm leaning that way too. And then, I do, I, in, the, in LA night and then LA night, uh, AJ Styles separate. One yeah. One. I'm leaning that way also, but what gives me the most pause is you can make that match now, both of those matches. And we have five weeks of television left. That kind of leads me to believe that like LA night, AJ Styles is going to main event to SmackDown and maybe Logan Paul, Kevin Owens main events of SmackDown and, and Randy Orton somehow gets involved in that. And I feel like they could run all these matches on TV and then compile them all together as a five-way, a ladder match, a different type of stipulation, an elimination type of match, even though we just got Elimination Chamber. Um, I feel like they could do something like that on WrestleMania. So I just wanted to provide those options and put that out there. The other Two questions I'll ask you, and then we'll get out of here. Intercontinental Championship. What do you think we're getting with Gunther? I, I'm starting to believe it's going to be Chad Gable. You know, Gable beat Ivar on Raw. If you're going to beat a big guy like that, it would make sense that you're building yourself back up into a situation where you can go after Gunther. Maybe he gets a win over like Bronson Reed coming up. That would help continue that you know process as well. If it's not Gable, then the literal only other person I can think of right now, and maybe there's something out there that I'm not considering, but the only other person I could think about would be a returning Sheamus. Right. That was the one I was thinking of. Sheamus has been tweeting a lot um, recently and, and stuff like that. Now, party, part, that could be coming back soon. But then again, if someone's coming back, they usually end up going silent. Mm -hmm. you know? So maybe he's farther away than than we hope. Um she, to me, it's got to be either Gable or Sheamus. Um, and I think Gunther has to lose to either one of them. He really Sheamus should. Has not but, but here's the problem, Chris. Like, he really should lose, okay? But let's go through these matches, just real brief. Cody has to beat Roman. We really want Drew to beat Seth. Bailey has to beat Io. Becky should beat Rhea, though I could see a situation where they keep the title on Ripley. Logan Paul needs to lose the title. And then we want Gunther to lose the title. And by the way, we also are expecting the tag team titles to change hands as well. They're not going to change yeah, every no, title I, on this show. Maybe. Yeah, no, that's fair. You, you are going to have some titles that don't change hands. And I guess, but it's just, we've had these record long reigns. I know. For so many we want them all over. WrestleMania, WrestleMania is the spot. You figure you do these types of reigns to have the changes at Mania. But you're right. It won't be all of those. It not all be. of those yeah. will be, uh, will be that situation. So... Yeah, I guess you're right. Here's the last question. And this is open-ended because I don't even know where to start. But the women's division right now, first of all, these two matches that we got are fantastic. Okay, Becky and Rhea and Bailey and Io, couldn't ask for more. But there are some huge names out there. Bianca Belair, Jade Cargill, Liv Morgan, the Kabuki Warriors, obviously Asuka and Kyrie Sane being included as part of that. Tiffany Stratton now hot on the scene. She probably would benefit from a big featured WrestleMania spot. I don't know what the hell they're going to do. I could see a situation where it's Kabuki Warriors against like Bel Air and Jade if they were to team up together. But I don't know what you do with all the other women. Is it showcase matches, uh, number one contenderships? There's a lot of people on the women's side who need spots. Yes, there, there, there's a lot to figure out in five weeks to do it. Um and it'll be interesting because some years we have everything booked and it's in you kind of just you're biding time and treading water for several weeks going in. This might be one where we don't have a ton because the show is already almost sold out. You've got Cody, you've got Cody Roman Rock's involvement. 
that's the thing that's going to sell the tickets. You don't need to, you know, you don't need to rush any of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll see. All right, folks. Well, look, that wraps up our WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis. We were thrilled to bring it to you today, even if we weren't perhaps that thrilled to wake up as early as we had to. Uh, But we're going to get out of here right now. Let me hit you with some reminders for schedule wise. Okay. Um, We have on Tuesday coming up our next WWE episode. There is still a ton to discuss coming out of SmackDown. We're going to have an entire uh, raw after elimination chamber to break down. We might have some second thoughts on elimination chamber as well. And we'll of course hit you with the news of the week in that show. You are not going to want to miss that WWE episode on Tuesday. And as of right now, the rest of the week plan is for Thursday to have your AEW Revolution Ultimate Preview along with our NXT breakdown. And then next weekend, our AEW Revolution Instant Analysis. So on the way out, allow me to hit you with a couple of these sound drops. First, let me remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It's also where you can tweet us questions and comments for the show. Again, we will have plenty of those on the Tuesday WWE episode. And it's where you can vote in pre- and post-show polls around the premium live events and pay-per-views. You guys already heard the way that your votes got utilized on this show. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up, you will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant recaps of Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every single week, along with exclusive news posts every Friday. Again, that is buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Thank you all for listening to this special WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis show. Thank you to Vintage Chris Vanini for waking up early with your boy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. But at this point, it is time for us to sign off and time for me to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.